0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna,
1: and me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with Tomash from Paraday Technologies to talk about what a mempool is and the life cycle of a transaction on the Ethereum network. Hey guys. Hello, hello. Hey. Today we're going to do uh, another 101 episode, which I'm uh, pretty excited about. This was originally a listener request. And um it's a good topic. It's about the quote unquote mempool or transaction queue or transaction pool like it has a lot of names and there's a lot of confusion around this. But basically we're going to talk about the the lifetime of a transaction, like where from leaving your computer to being in a block, what happens to it. And we have a, a special guest with us, which is uh, probably one of the best guests we could possibly have for this topic because he wrote the transaction queue implementation in Parity. Uh welcome Thomas. <laughs> Hi Fred. Uh,
2: thank you for the introduction. I actually wrote the transaction queue twice already. <laughs> Once when I was starting Pin Party, but then I figured that it's it's a good um it's a good time to do a rewrite after after some time And, and I and I saw how shitty the previous
0: code was. <laughs> when did you do that
2: rewrite? Uh so the rewrite happened um like two months ago,
0: I think. Oh wow it, it's pretty recent. It has
2: been released with uh parity one eleven. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm Pretty happy about it, but uh, now know a couple of things that could be improved further.
1: It, it was a big, big uh, improvement. Uh, mm-hmm. Did get a couple of comments from Miner saying that it, it was performing a lot better, and uh, they were getting better block prop times and stuff like that. Yeah, but but it was
2: like a couple of changes contributed to to this. It wasn't only only the transaction fully right, but uh, yeah, it was pretty significant release actually.
1: So let's start maybe by defining some of these things. Uh, what is a transaction queue, and why is it sometimes called a mempool?
2: Um, yeah, so so pretty much all the three um, uh, things you mentioned, so it's transaction queue, it's transaction pool, and mempool, they are they they signify the same thing. Um, so the um, mempool is, is sort of like Bitcoin nomenclature. Um, in parity, we call it transaction queue mostly. And I think in GAF it's, uh, it's called transaction pool. But they all mean the same thing. So if we are talking about mempool uh, in context of Ethereum, it means that the thing that stores the transactions uh, on your, um, your node locally and uh, propagates them to, to the peers and also, if you are mining, it's uh, it's used to determine what what are the uh, best candidates for the next block that you are actually mining.
1: I guess the name mempool would come from uh, sort of you have all these transactions floating around on the network, and you can only capture and store in memory a certain amount of them before, like your memory pool is exceeded and you can't really accept any more transactions and you kind of have to prioritize this queue and not accept any more into the queue. So I, I guess mm-hmm. that's where the, the terminology comes from originally.
0: I do like that word mempool. Um uh, it sounds like it should be the name of a band. <laughs> Just throwing it out there in the world. <laughs> I like it.
1: Maybe it's a future podcast uh name or something. The mempool.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that too. <laughs> cool.
1: So uh, yeah, we were talking about these transactions and uh, how they get into this transaction queue. But maybe we take a step back and and look at like the the network. What is the, the Ethereum network exactly, and like how do these computers connect together? Yeah, um, Ethereum is Ethereum network is um, uh, just a
2: bunch of computers connected together. Um, uh, obviously, we cannot connect to all of the computers running ethereum clients because like uh, it, it there's too many of them and and no uh hardware will be able to to handle so so many connections so we we always only see like um only couple of uh, nodes that are nearby us and we only connect to couple of them so we create this kind of mesh of uh of uh, connected computers so um If you want to send something in the network, it actually has to propagate through the network because you only send it to to the peers that you know about and you hope that they will propagate it further to to their peers until finally it gets to to the recipient. And there are a couple of ways how we can um, connect to this network. So because it's completely decentralized, we don't really have a single server that you can you know go to and and everyone can connect to you actually have a couple of special peers which are called uh, boot nodes and those peers uh, those nodes they have many peers that and they are able to kind of you know like mm, show you the the other part of the network so you only know this these peers as the as the first point of contact and then they tell you hey there is a bunch of other guys in that network, so maybe you will try to connect to them, you might get like better uh, connection, lo- lower latency to, to those other guys. So we are discovering that network uh, by first connecting to boot nodes, then connecting to other nodes, and they also can give you their peers, so you're discovering that, the entire network uh, through this way. And the second way to discover the network is to run the discovery protocol uh, which is just kind of like broadcasting. Hey, I am an Ethereum node. Uh, is there anyone else here uh, running an Ethereum node? And uh, the other guys can can um, reply and, and you can get connected.
0: When you mentioned these boot nodes, is it, maybe I didn't fully understand that, but is that like a fixed, are these like special nodes, like individual special nodes? And it's always the same. It's not like it would change for different individuals.
2: Boot nodes are um, just nodes that are hard-coded in the client and it it's, they doesn't have to be fixed. So th- that boot node list can be managed and can be changed by anyone. You can actually override the, the boot nodes when you are connecting to the network as well. It's just the nodes that we kind of see that are there, are maybe run by some companies like we, Parity. We also run a couple of boot nodes so people can connect to them. But... It's, it doesn't mean they are required to connect to the network, if that makes any sense.
1: So, on a sort of basic le- level, the network is a distributed hash table, or a DHT, or it runs on a DHT, and this is like similar to how BitTorrent runs and how you can discover peers in BitTorrent. Um, but in a, in this sort of DHT structure. If you imagine the DHT, the distributed hash table, as being like a long list of all the peers in the network, then to discover this DHT and to like get the information from it, you need an entry point into the network. You can't, so you need someone to first tell you like, where do I find information here? And either you can do what Tomash said uh, of just like broadcasting widely and like pinging all local IPs and then trying to ping, you know, all public IPs or search some IP space for another Ethereum node that can be your entry point. Or you pick one of these boot nodes. So Geth has a set of boot nodes. Parity has has another set of boot nodes. We have some overlapping servers in each. And these are just servers that have been shown to be reliable and well-connected in the network. And so they serve as that entry point to give you the first sort of entry way into discovering the rest of the network. They don't have any sort of special trust. Uh, it's not that you're downloading the blockchain off of these and you trust, you know, what they're telling you or anything.
2: So, so it's pretty much just to, like, speed up this process, right? Because, like the, you know, completely decentralized way would be just to find a peer, uh, a random peer uh, that that is connected to the network but it might take quite a long time
0: maybe to continue so you started talking a little bit about like the beginning of a transaction there or you've talked about like how a network first gets connected but i think it would be really cool to follow the journey of a transaction maybe you can like Mm -hmm. walk us through where it goes and how it gets to a miner in the end Okay.
2: Yeah. So, um, so with the transaction. So the first step to actually have your transaction included is to generate the transaction, and that happens locally on your computer because every transaction in Ethereum network has to be signed with your private key. So obviously, like a good security practice is to not, never share your private key with anyone. So on a on your trusted computer, you are signing the transaction and then you are submitting that transaction, um, perfect, in a perfect situation, it would be submitting to your local node that is already connected to the network. And what happens is that that, tra- that signed transaction is um, uh, tries to get to the pool, um, so it has to go through uh, first the verification pipeline, so we check if the transaction is correct, uh, if... Um, if there is enough balance on your account to actually send that transaction, if you are paying enough, uh, if, if, you, um, if you declared it enough gas uh, for the transaction, so if the gas limit is set um, correctly, the gas limit also cannot exceed the block gas limit. Um, there is also a parameter that controls like, how much you want to pay for transaction execution. But when you are submitting that transaction to your local node, it doesn't matter that much uh, in, um, in, the, um, in how fast it will get propagated through the network from your local node. Because we prioritize local transactions uh, always. So your transaction gets like a priority boost because it's, it's just yours and you want to get it out first. Um, yeah, so, so when it gets to the pool, then we start to propagate that transactions to, to other peers. So what happens is that imagine that you are connected to a hundred of peers. Uh, we don't spam the network. Uh, we don't send it to all the hundred peers at once. Rather, we select uh, some random peers from, from all, the, all the ones that you are connected to. And we propagate first to those random peers. And we repeat that process every a second, I think, or uh, a second and a half and then we select more random peers and send to them um, again. Uh, we also store who did we send the transaction to and also who did we receive the transaction from so that we don't really send the same transaction twice to other peers. It's, it's considered like a bad behavior, so the, the other end might actually penalize us for doing that so they can disconnect us if they don't like it. So, yeah, we start at your local node. we send to random peers we we do it do it um every second or every two seconds. Uh, we select more random peers we send it to 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 our like local neighborhood and then we hope that those peers will propagate that transaction further until in in the same fashion until we get to a node that is actually running um. A, that is, that is a miner so it's, it's running uh, um, some kind of mining pool and that particular uh, node will do exactly the same thing so it goes through the verification pipeline and then tries to um, figure out what is the priority of your transaction and the priority is actually determined by the by how much they can earn from including that transaction so what is the the fee um, that is uh, paid for that transaction, and they create a block if, if your transaction is like at the beginning of the queue.
0: Okay, so I have a question. There, you sort of you're starting your. You sort of mentioned a transaction. A node transaction gets priority because, or a, sorry, a local transaction gets priority
1: in your own in your uh, own client, yeah. So
0: that's the first thing that goes out. Then it goes to a random number of people, but a random number of nodes. How how many?
2: Uh, so the, the, the precise formula is like x over square root of x, okay. if I remember correctly. <laughs> so it's 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 just like a um, um, a percentage of
0: what's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It,
2: it, it's a percentage, but it's a, it's a function that like grows. It, it's not really uh, because percentage is is linear. So if you have like ten thousand peers, it would be thousand peers. If if we are speaking about ten percent, okay. for instance. But we are trying to keep this like very limited. So, so this function is like growing slowly. So, even if you have a network of and and you are connected to thousands or tens of thousands of peers, you will only send to up to I don't know like hundreds.
1: Okay, okay. What What's uh, the reasoning behind doing this rather than just like instantly sending to everyone? Uh, it's just like
2: actually, I'm I'm I'm
1: not. Sure. I think it's just like
2: politeness and uh, preventing network con- contention because like those other peers, they are, are connected between each other as well. Um, so there is a good chance that uh, they're going to like gossip that transaction between themselves uh, in the future. And then because we are monitoring the transaction that the other peers are sending to us. So we we, we kind of send a bunch of transactions, we, we save your bandwidth so we, you don't spam the, the, the network with your transaction because then there is a high chance that uh, it, it, it will get propagated anyway.
0: Is it sort of to avoid duplication of work? Or like you just, you only want, like how many, once you send it out to that first group of random nodes, like how many do you need to pick it up to keep it going? Like, are you looking for a certain percentage to keep pushing it? Or do they all push it? That's I guess what I'm kind of confused on there
2: so so every every peer in the network have their subjective view of what the mempool is, so you don't really have like this you know like global consensus uh on on the mempool itself uh, so every node is able to choose like any transaction they want uh, to to propagate faster or to propagate slower the um, This kind of like um game theoretic. Uh, agreed upon uh, way of doing that is to to prioritize transactions that that are um, paying the most fee f- to the miners and this is what other peers are also doing because they have like a, a good chance of including in a block but um, yeah this is this is just like um the expected behavior of the peers, because there is no way to prove that you actually like received that transaction and then propagate it further. So you don't, you cannot really, you know, like penalize other peers for not following the the protocol. This is like completely, completely subjective.
1: I think this is all sort of within the definition of what a gossip protocol is, and gossip is a very broad term of like it's not a specific defined protocol. And there's been a a lot of analysis done on gossip style protocols, where you you know uh, look at how fast do things spread, and exactly those questions of like how many people do you need to pick it up to actually propagate to the whole network and stuff like that. I don't think there. I've not seen any conclusive answers on like this is the exact number that you should have and expect. It's sort of it. It's a very um, generous protocol in that. You don't really need all that many people to pick it up and propagate it to, for the gossip to actually spread throughout the whole network. Um, and yeah, if you just send to 25 percent of people and most of those pick it up and send it to 25 percent of their people, then you know it, it has this sort of exponential increase anyway, so high, high, highly likely that it'll uh, propagate throughout the whole network.
0: Just to sort of to go back to that thing about prioritizing the local transactions. So like if a if a node picks up just a different transaction from a mempool and then it's also sending its own transactions, it would prioritize its local transactions over that.
2: Yes. So so even if even, even if you are paying a smaller fee, like your local node will send your transactions first. Okay. But it doesn't mean that they propagate like faster in the network because the the other end that is receiving that transaction they don't really have that information that they are, you know, they, they are not of a higher priority for them.
0: So. How many, like, so a node is pushing out its own transactions and then propagating other transactions. How many transactions maybe per second does a node deal with? Or maybe, I don't know what, what your time frame is, but I'm just curious.
2: So, so, I think we didn't really do like benchmarks how how fast we can uh, propagate transactions or how fast we can uh, receive transactions. Uh, but I think there was a, a point where uh, a point in time when in Ethereum main network there was like hundred fifty thousand transactions uh, floating around in the network. Uh, because like the blocks were full, the, the the fees were increasing, and there were there was a lot of pending transactions. And uh, yeah, at that point in time, I, I was spending some time doing optimization of the transaction uh, queue because we uh, we saw increased CPU usage of the nodes. Um, but yeah, it it was handling that that amount correctly. So so. Um, but I don't have like uh, numbers in terms of, of of throughput. How how fast we can propagate?
0: Do you have even like a sense of it though? I'm just trying to imagine if it's like twelve or like hundreds or like thousands, like any anything.
2: So so I think we are. Um, I, I would have to check the numbers, but uh, uh, like if if you are creating an Ethereum block, right? Uh, current gas limits allow you to I think store two hundred transactions. So um, even if we could send more, it doesn't really make sense to to propagate more transactions than for the next like two or three blocks so actually, in parity currently we um the limit of how many transactions we propagate to the network is uh um, current block capacity um like multiplied by by two or by three, so we try to propagate transactions for the next three blocks um but if you if you want to be selfish, you can actually like you know send your transactions uh, as fast as your like you know hardware uh, supports uh, that. The only issue might be that the other peers might not be able to like keep up with uh, all the transactions that you are sending to them, and they may decide that they want to they don't want to be connected to you because you are like spam, spamming them with the the transactions. So I I don't really have the numbers, <laughs> uh, but uh, we are sending like. Um, 600 transactions every second currently uh, in Parity uh, Ethereum on the on the mainnet because this is like how much we actually have to send. But we, it it would be really easy to send way more. Uh, it would just like increase your CPU usage and bandwidth on the
1: node. Yeah. So I mean, there, there's a difference here between what a node can do and what a node needs to do. So I just looked up on on EtherScan and there's currently sixty thousand pending transactions in the mempool, and uh, it's quite a lot, but it's not like outrageously long, like. Tomash was saying there's been 150,000 plus sometimes, um, and uh, I know we've run some benchmarks on um, like not only propagating transactions but like actually including them in blocks on like PoA networks in closed environments between two nodes or whatever. And the the bottleneck is never the you know the propagation time. Like you, we could probably propagate 50,000 transactions in a matter of a couple of seconds. Uh, so the, the the slower thing is like validating these transactions, um, running them, like including them in blocks, and all this other stuff.
2: Yeah, actually, validation is kind of two parts so one part can be done completely in memory and it's just like cpu bound and this was never a limit um as well but the, the the like the heaviest part is actually running the transaction so writing something to the to the state tree or reading something from the state tree because it's usually stored on the disk and it requires a couple of of disk random disk reads or disk writes and it's it's, it's really slow it's it's currently the limiting factor for uh, for ethereum network i think
0: So the reason that I'm asking the question I first asked, which was like, the reason I'm just trying to imagine what the node is doing, kind of at what frequency it's doing that. So the node itself, like, it's sending local transactions, it's propagating other transactions that it's picking up. And I'm just wondering, is this like, is it pinging at a beat of like this? Is it like, like, that's, that's, that's sort of what I'm trying to get to. I'm just trying to envision how that thing itself is working.
2: Yeah so so it's it's like interval based so every second we are doing quite a lot of work we are taking the the like the the best transactions that we have in a pool uh we are taking up to let's say uh 1000 transactions from the pool and we are trying to send it to to this random peers but first we need to figure out or or if we send some transactions in the past to that peer as well or we maybe receive some transactions from that peer so we are doing this like difference, what has to be sent, what, what uh, that peer already knows about, and it happens every second. And also, like, in between that time, we're actually handling all the requests that other peers might might sending to us. So they either like, propagate transactions to us, so we need to verify them, include them in the pool, or they might request some data from us like um, block headers or, or block bodies uh, of the past blocks as well. So, there is like quite a lot of things happening in the note every yeah. every second
1: there so your question is is i think it's a good one because it also sort of highlights we get quite a lot of questions or complaints about parity getting slower over time, and from a normal user's point of view, it's like using more disk it's using way more c p u than it used to do, and it's just like it's way slower like why Every release, it seems to be getting worse, and that's not because parity is getting worse. It's because the network is getting more congested, and the blockchain is getting bigger. And a common misconception of like the CPU increase is actually there's now so much transaction spam. There's all of these bots like trading on decentralized exchanges, trying to overbid each other on uh, gas prices and things like that. So. What happens in a bidding war in between two bots, for instance, is they send a transaction uh, with, you know, one Gwei as their gas price, and then uh, another bot sends one with one point one G-Way as their transaction price, uh, gas price. The exact same transaction, and so the bot number one says, "Hey, you're not going to beat me to this because this trade is still profitable if I get it through." So they send another transaction at one point two like superseding their previous transaction so they keep doing this bidding war on like in the transaction pool and this only happens in the transaction pool it it's never shown on the blockchain that this happened they they only like the blockchain only sees the one that was actually included at the end so phil Dyan, uh multiple guests on the show he has uh he keeps tweeting out every once in a while like the highest gas price paid and like the last tweet from him was seventeen thousand Gwei. g way and that's just that's a profitable trade for a bot to make. <laughs> so it's gone up like probably thousands and thousands of transactions in a trade war to get to that point.
0: In that example then are there some transactions that just die? They never do anything. They just sort of sit there, fill it up and like do they get removed at some point?
1: Yeah, I think this is a good question as well cuz it ties into um what happens when a transaction gets stuck and you want to like redo it at a higher gas price or something to make sure that it gets included? So,
2: so in Ethereum, um, transactions doesn't really have an expiry date, so they can, they can be in the mempool for forever, pretty much if, uh, if, the, um, like if other transactions are actually higher priority, so they pay more fee and they are included first. And, um, also, um, in Ethereum, we have something that is called nonce that serves uh, two purposes. First, purpose is to to have uh, replay protection for your account. Um, so, when you are doing a transfer transaction, uh, you you actually want to do like only one transfer to a specific person, right? You don't really want anyone else to take that transaction, put it. In a blockchain again, and do the tra- transfers for the second time. So, so this is what we have nonce for. It actually every tra- every sender has this 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 particular number that has to be included in the next transaction that is uh, originating from from that particular account. And also nonce uh, allows you to order the transactions. So first you have to process transactions with uh, lower nonces, and then. And only if the transaction with say nonce five is processed, you can only then process the transaction with nonce six. So if you send a transaction um, with a very low gas price, and then you try to send more transactions from the same account, and even if you try to increase the gas price, so you try to increase the priority of the next transaction, transactions, this one first one might actually be like blocking all all of this this uh, other transactions because it has to be included first it's what that what the protocol says but it's not included because it's like low priority and it's blo- blocking this this higher priority transactions so what you can do is actually you you have to resubmit that same transaction so use the same norms for the second time but specify higher gas price and this is what fred already mentioned this is how this like trading wars happens so they are sending a, a next transaction, but they are then sending an update for that particular transaction, trying to overbid uh, them themselves. So like increase the gas price, and then that's uh, that actually like pushes out the, the old transaction from the pool. Uh, we also have a DDoS protection there because you could you could just increase the gas price by one way, and it would it should replace the transaction, but to prevent the nodes from doing too, too much stuff and especially miners from actually um, replacing those transactions from the block, we uh, specified that the, the minimal gas price increase has to be at least like 12%.
0: This nonce question. So when we actually, we did an episode about blocks and block headers and there was a nonce, a nonce was used there as well. Is this related or is that a completely different use of a nonce
1: it's a it's a different one okay. but so nonce is a general yeah. term it just means yeah nonsense number <laughs> but yeah number that's in, sort in, uh, of increasing yeah. in uh, in the transaction it's actually um yeah it's it's a transaction numbering scheme so okay. it is a strictly increasing thing whereas in in the block header the nonce is what produces the proof of work result that you are looking for so when a transaction, a new transaction with the same nonce gets posted, what happens? Like, does the node just remove the old one from the transaction queue and forget about it, or is is there some procedure happening there? Uh,
2: yes, uh, the the new transaction, if it so if it ocup- occupies, let's say, the same slot, so the same like sender plus nonce uh, slot. Uh, we actually replace the old transaction, we forget about the old transaction, and only include the, the, the new one. Um, yeah, but, but those transactions will will never really die. I mean, it, for them to die, you'd have to kind of force every node in the network that has ever seen that transaction to forget about that transaction and to stop propagating that. But it's, it's something that won't really happen for, for sure, I mean, it's impossible. So, so they never die, but they are just like never included and never get to to any block. so they they kind of stuck forever.
0: where do they do they live somewhere? Do you see them? Can you see them?
2: I mean, it depends on the um, on the peers that are storing it, so um, because the pool is is limited. So if you have enough capacity to store all those transactions that won't really be included, like will never be included. Then sure, like from time to time, you might even propagate that transaction to some to some other peers. Uh, but yeah, and, and we have a couple of nodes in the network. For instance, Etherscan, uh, they are they are they are having like really large pools, and they are storing all transactions that they have seen um, and uh, repropagating all the transactions that they have seen in the in the past. So they are kind of like making sure it, it, it won't die. But uh, yeah,
0: but most. Nodes mempools will be smaller, and so it will just drop off. Like it just won't be included. Yes,
2: but it, it might like you know uh, it might drop off at some point and then reappear at some other point, just to be like pushed out by by some other transactions in the future again. So it might be kind of like flipping.
0: By the way, is that correct? Does a node have its own mempool, or is there a mempool that a node taps into? Like, is it it's individual to the node?
2: Okay, so so every every node in the network has its own mempool. And it's, it's like this subjective view of uh, all the transactions that they have seen ordered by the priority and, and, and the nonce. So there is no global mempool that everyone is using. It's just like I saw those transactions. They seem valid to me. Um, they seem useful for others, for like miners. They, they can, um, by including those transactions, they can earn fee. So I'm going to propagate that to, to, my, to my other peers.
1: I had a question on uh, the propagation part. We talked a little bit about this sort of gossip structure and propagating to a portion of them, but there seems to be a flaw here in that you can produce this sort of infinite loop. If I tell A about a transaction, or let's say node A tells node B about a transaction, node B tells node C about a transaction, and then node C tells A, then obviously A shouldn't be telling B again because you're, you've entered this infinite loop. How do you prevent that happening?
2: So um, every, every node actually stores, um, uh, tries to remember what transactions have been already sent to, to, uh, to its peer. And also it stores uh, what transaction it has received from, from that other peer. So we try to... Never send that transaction twice if we know that uh, that a peer already uh, received that transaction from us, and also if we know that a particular transaction has been uh, sent by this node, so we got that transaction from that node we We don't really like propagate it back because it doesn't make much sense uh, although um, randomly we also choose uh, peers uh, that we kind of forget that we propagated the transactions to them to just keep the transaction flow uh, transactions flowing because we we cannot really if we send the transaction to a peer we don't have any guarantees that they received it and included that in their mempool because their mempool could be full and we are thinking oh yeah they should have that transaction because we sent it but they didn't have time to process that transaction or their mempool was full so they don't really propagate it further so from time to time we select random peers where we uh, kind of repropagate the transactions uh, to them again.
1: So, is this sort of metadata that's attached to a transaction, and then when the transaction leaves the the queue, this all gets removed as well, or is this stored somewhere else?
2: Um, yeah, like technically, I think it's stored on the on the node table, so it's it's part of the like node metadata, not really transaction mm. metadata. But uh, yeah.
0: So there, you were talking about like gossip, but I guess. I have a quick question about gossip. Like would the convert, would it, when you talk about sort of communication going from note A to note B, would it also go backwards? Is there like something coming back in gossip or is it a one way propagation?
2: Yeah, it's, it's one way we are just like broadcasting uh, what we know, what we have learned like this, this hot rumors to, to all the peers that we have. And uh, it's, it could go back if we go through like as Fred said earlier, As we, if we go from node A to B, then B to C, and then C to back to A, uh, because node C doesn't really know that this message originated from from A, but it, it doesn't really change anything. I mean, it's not something that is that is bad for the protocol necessarily, uh, because like the, the, the important thing is that that process ends, ends at some point, right? So either the... That the message that we are spreading becomes like obsolete, and we should just like all forget about it, or uh, we are keeping um, we, we keep to propagate that um, the entire time because we just have resources to to do
0: so. Also, makes a sense. little question about the word gossip: is gossip like a traditional computer science networking word, or is that something that's more coming from this space?
1: I guess it's become that, but it comes from analyzing actual gossip and like. The the name comes from like how studying how gossip spreads in like offices and social networks. Wow, but, but yeah,
0: but was it is the question here? Is it is it used like has it been used in other just networking things? Yeah, in the it's past, been a
1: net, networking term for a long time. Yeah. Okay, okay. I wanted to touch a little bit on the security properties of this network. So we obviously have this. DHT discovery network where we gossip about transactions and this looks very similar to a lot of other types of networks I mentioned BitTorrent and um, typically these are kind of these are quite resilient networks Uh, it's very hard to sort of take them down but also like something that's very common in networking is having net splits for instance where you kind of Split this network into two halves, and they kind of start acting on their own, and they don't see what the other half is doing. What is done on on the networking level to avoid net splits? Is anything done?
2: Um, so there's there's nothing done to to prevent the, the network split splits uh, mm-hmm. on the network level, um, because that that's that's actually like the, the whole point um, with uh, with the, the centralized networks that. Uh, we only see like a subset of the network. We are never connected to the to all the peers. We are never like connecting uh, we We never like form this like fully connected graph. so we only see this this small part and we hope that the network is connected at some and and even if we disconnect for a short period of time, if the network split happens, uh, when we reconnect back uh we we will still go get into a consensus like what what is the the world what would the world should look like and and what's the state of the network after after that split
1: yeah i mean so a net split would essentially mean that you're creating a temporary fork until that net split is resolved and then you might have to reorg you know in varyingly long chains depending on how long the net split was but something that i'm like curious about it and if anyone has done any study of is we have a lot of the mining power in china and china has the great firewall what if they suddenly managed to split off like all western miners from all chinese miners you could potentially have a very long fork to deal with
0: yeah but here you're talking about the miners splitting but what if like just nodes like could nodes just go in different directions like there nothing gets written to the blockchain it's just the mempools change or like maybe the priorities in them are different like do you actually have to reorg anything from that
1: No. So what would happen if um, a bunch of just normal clients net splits, like say you have a small group split off for some reason, all the transactions they're trying to send and trying to propagate out would be stuck in just their little group and it would be stuck in their little group and never really propagate to a miner until they can reconnect to the whole network. And then they propagate all of this at once and like it would spread to a miner at that point. So the worst case scenario of a net split for like a normal person is that their transaction gets delayed, which, I mean, could be bad, but it's less bad than a long fork.
2: <laughs> and um, the network part and the mempool part is not really um, part of the consensus. So we don't really need to you know, have a, a shared and common view that we all agreed upon. Uh, it's just like subjective to every note. It's just, as I said earlier, like all the things that I have seen and think that might be useful for others. But uh, I can make my own decisions on how do I prioritize that if, if I propagate the transactions further, and so on. For instance, uh, in Ethereum, uh, we have light nodes, and light nodes pretty much don't have the state, so they are not really able to verify the transactions entirely. So what we do, we, we, they don't really propagate the transactions at all. They receive the transactions, they, they just ignore them, and they never send uh, other transactions than your local ones to, to other peers because they are not able to verify if they are if they are correct or not. Or maybe they, they are able to verify that, but it's like it would take too much resources for them to do so because they would have to pull the, the verification um the data that they need for the verification from from other
1: peers anyway which makes sense for transactions that you really care about like your own but it doesn't make sense for all the transactions flowing through the network exactly given the design of this network why can't i just send a billion transactions and take this whole thing down
2: um you could <laughs> i mean you could send those transactions you probably couldn't uh, take the whole thing down because First, you are only connected to a limited number of peers, so you are just like spamming those peers. Then, these peers, uh, like the transaction, is received by them, and it goes to this verification pipeline. And we make sure that this verification pipeline first does all the checks that are like really cheap to do. So, for instance, checking the structure of the transaction, um, the consistency, the uh, the minimal, the base gas, uh, if it's if it's um, if it's enough to um to cover the 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 base gas for the for the transaction, then the signature and this is actually like pretty um pretty expensive part and then we check the the balance and the in the state but anyway, all those checks are are really cheap compared to actually running those transactions so if those transactions are um not valid in um Uh, In one of those checks, we will reject them really, really fast. So you would have to have like really huge computing power to generate thousands, generate and sign thousand transactions uh, um, that would not be rejected in this like early checks in the the verification pipeline.
0: In this verification pipeline, do you also look for identical transactions like... Like if it was just like the exact same thing over and over and over and over again, would that also be something that's found in that process? Mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's actually one of the first checks that we are doing. So we are checking if the transaction is already in the mempool. We are using hash of the transaction for this and like hashing is, is quite cheap. And then we are checking if that transaction is already in the, in the blockchain, which is like a little bit more expensive, but, but still ch- uh, cheap. And uh, recently, with the changes that we did with parity 1.11, we actually also have a cache for the transactions that we have seen in the past, but we know that are going to be rejected from the pool. So we are going through this verification pipeline. Then we figure out, okay, this is an invalid transaction. So we reject it, but we also store the hash so that when we see it again, because it's like through this gossip protocol, it's, it, we receive that somehow again, we actually uh, reject it much faster.
1: It's all those checks, plus the fact that even if you were to try to mount a successful attack in this way, you're only attacking your peers. So even if you manage to DDoS and take down your peers, so what, you've taken down 25 of the thousands on the network, you kind of have to move on and try to take down the next. Even if you connect to 1,000 and take down 1,000, then uh yeah you're kind of messing with people it would be annoying for those that you're sending shit to uh but you wouldn't take down the network because you would have to like move on and take down the next set and by that time like you're not attacking the first set anymore and so you are kind of
0: yeah you've let them f- be free but what yeah. about those like is there any mechanism to like sort of shun a bad actor a bad node
2: I don't think we have anything implemented currently, but uh, we could implement some kind of reputation system. Um, it could either be like, you know, off-chain and subjective. So if you see a node that is like sending you too many transactions and it's actually causing you a lot of, um, it, it, it generates like a lot of resource usage on your side, you can disconnect that node and, and uh, change the um, reputation of that node. Or we could also build something on chain. Um, we would just have to provide some proofs of this kind of like misbehavior, so that other nodes can can also know that. But the problem is that uh, like it's subjective to something that is called civil attacks. So the attacker, if, if they see that they are kind of like blacklisted, or someone figure out that they are malicious, they can just generate a new identity and start all over again.
0: So you just explained sort of a scenario where somebody would attack the network but i'm not really clear like from what you said is it possible to actually take it down or like is it possible to actually affect it
2: but but, um you, you can't really attack the entire network but you can do a targeted attack right if you if you actually like somehow figure out that that particular peers are mining you can, you can target your attack to, to the miners and they are kind of like this, this weak part of the, the entire network, right? But uh, hopefully the miners are, um, you know, protecting th- themselves correctly. So there are a couple of ways to, to avoid that, like um, mining on two nodes in parallel or uh, preventing too many peers from connecting to your, uh, to your mining node.
1: I mean, so it would obviously theoretically be possible to attack the network and actually take it down. Like, it just requires enough resources. Let's say there's 10,000 nodes on this network. You can lurk in the discovery process for months, try to discover all of these 10,000 peers, and just, like, keep running the discovery algorithm for months and months. Eventually, you'll have a significant portion of the network discovered, and then you launch a massive DDoS attack with, like, tens or hundreds of thousands of computers with unlimited bandwidth eh, on all of those existing pairs, then yes, you can certainly affect it. I mean, it would be a super costly attack, and, you know, it's very unclear what you would gain from doing it other than to fuck with the network. Uh,
0: and would that just, that would just knock it offline for like a, a little bit?
1: It wouldn't. Like... Yeah, I mean, it would probably knock it offline until everyone can sort of take their nodes down and like rekey their identities and get it back up again uh, or something like that. And even like miners might not actually be part of the discovery process. So the question is, you know, you could probably prevent transactions from being propagated, but you probably can't prevent blocks being produced.
0: Now this is a super extreme case, but like say there are glitches or something. Like is there, are there times where transactions are sent and they're just like actually lost before they hit anything? Like are there cases of that?
2: Oh yeah, sure. Um because like either you're propagating that to a peer that just goes offline right after it receives the transaction. Or um your transaction fee is too low to get that transaction propagated over the over the network because like mm, we all when you are choosing a fee we also have something that um, is called gas price fee Oracle and we are using um, last uh, transactions that are uh, in the last hundred blocks and we are trying to average the gas price for that so if you choose um, too small uh, if, if the fee that you choose is too small your transaction might look okay in your like you know subjective view of the mempool, in your mempool. but then if it's propagated to some to some other peer, uh, they might drop it because there is like way more transactions with higher fees. So it it kind of never goes you know out of your uh, your node. So you are you are you are trying to propagate it, but it's it's never accepted.
0: So. What would happen on the side of like is there a ping back? Are you told that it wasn't propagated? Like how do you track that
2: so if your transaction if you think that you are paying like high enough fee and your transaction is not accepted in the next few blocks then you probably start to think yeah maybe maybe i did something wrong Uh, you can either like try to increase the fee or you can try to look in one of those you know like widely known kind of centralized um, uh, services that allow you to view their mantle. So, for instance, on Etherscan, or I, I believe my crypto as well, you can go there and see if the transaction actually got from your node to, to their node. So it's visible in their mempool. It doesn't guarantee that it's going to be mined, but at least you know that you know, it, it went through, your, through, through the network and it propagated to some other peers.
0: But in this case, you'd have to search for that transaction. You'd have to check it yourself. There's nothing that comes back and says like, "Oh, your transaction's lost." Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. There's there's no way to to figure that out. So yeah, you you have to you have you have to check it for yourself.
1: So we've been explaining all of this from the perspective of like running your own node, but obviously there's other ways to get transactions onto the network, um, like submitting it through you just mentioned, MyCrypto. Um, what's the difference there? How does that work? Yeah. So. Um, uh, when you
2: are using some uh, other services to, to to send your transaction, you are actually submitting the the, the signed transaction to someone else's node. So you are kind of you know like going bypassing the the, the Ethereum network propagation uh, protocol, and you are just going directly to your browser and like submitting to to someone else's node. And this is also a way to you know to to propagate that transaction faster. So you don't really need to only rely on Ethereum networking for that. It's, it's sufficient, but if you want to do it like faster, you can also look s- for some other ways to, to submit your transaction to different parts of the, of the world or, or different parts of this of this network.
1: One, one could expect that um, big services like MyCrypto, et cetera, are reasonably well connected to the miners as well, so that you're, you have maybe a little more security that it gets to the miner but is there any downside in like centralizing this transaction you know propagation
2: yeah i mean obviously there is there's some trust involved right if if they see that you are trying to um submit a transaction that like overbids them in some kind of auction for a crypto kitty or whatever then obviously they can censor your transaction and never propagate it if you trust them then sure uh, if you if you if you have multiple services you can also you know, you know send to all of them and there is probably a high chance that um, at least some of them won't censor you
1: is there any performance or like scaling bottleneck involved with trying to send all all like say everyone sent all their transactions through my crypto
2: um, obviously it's it's like DDoSing their service because it's it's like one centralized server somewhere there in the world so if everyone starts to send transactions using their service it will probably go down and if if this is the only like way or the only mean you are using to send transactions you will be like you know cut off the of the network and won't be able to send more transactions so it's just like you know an additional option that you should use but you should also you should always consider running your own nodes so that your transactions are are propagated
1: even if it's just a light node you have all the security and everything that you, that you could want
2: sure for for sending or propagating your transactions light node is, is more than enough
0: maybe just given that this is a blockchain 101 episode maybe it would be helpful for our listeners to have like a just a quick kind of recap of what we've covered uh, in this episode
2: mm-hmm. So, so we were talking about how you can create and uh, propagate transactions over the network and what, are the, uh, what how, how, how it happens. So just to recap, uh, when you are creating a transaction, you are signing it locally, uh, you are using a correct nonce, which uh, determines the, the order of the tra- transaction. You can also choose a fee for the transaction, which is uh, a gas price pretty much. And this uh, also determines the priority of your transactions compared to to other transactions that are in the mempool. Then you are submitting the signed transaction to your local node. That local node is actually taking care of gossiping that transaction around and propagating it to other peers. Those other peers, they have their own subjective view of the the mempool, so what they've seen on on the network. They verify your transaction, they insert that transaction to the pool, they figure out what's the priority of that transaction and then propagate it further uh, until it gets to the to the miners. And miners are this kind of like terminal nodes that actually take the transactions from the mem- for, from their mempool and they, inc- they, they create a block uh, from that transaction. So they actually execute those transactions and um, propagate the block back. So that's how it happens.
1: Hopefully... People learned something in this episode and were able to follow along. And if you have any questions or thoughts or feedback, please send them to our Twitter or email at zero knowledge FM on Twitter or hello at zero knowledge.fm.
0: And we're also going to probably link to Tomac's Twitter. Do you have a Twitter? Yeah, I do. Cool. So we'll link to yours in our show notes as well. Um, Maybe quickly we can say thank you again to Christopher Uh, from 1kx for putting these questions forward because uh, it definitely helped shape this episode and we really want to encourage our listeners to to do that to send us if there's topics that you're really into please send it to us send us questions that we can ask on on the air with some people that we're interviewing
1: and thank you to Tomas very much for being on this show and and being patient with our questions and helping to explain this stuff thank you so much for having me
0: oh one last thing before we go uh i just want to say that uh i may be starting a new band called anna and the mempools uh if anyone wants to be part of it as this episode has gone through i just like realized the name is is too good to pass up um yeah so that's gonna happen uh cool (laughs) okay so to our listeners uh thanks again for coming on this journey and thanks for listening
1: thanks for listening